What is up, everyone? And welcome back to Bored and Nerdy, episode birthday, season 36. Your boy survived another trip around the sun. As always, I am S. Dan the Legend, one of your hosts for this evening. And with me, hey, hey, Taylor, are you tropical? Am I, am I, am I tropical? Am I feeling yeah. free? I can use no, this. Good. No? You look like a fine apple. Oh! Ladies and gentlemen, with me as always is uh, Twitch content creator, YouTuber, D&D master, and my good buddy. Hey, it's Dale. Hey. Hi, Dale. Hello. Hello, friends. Hope you're all having a wonderful, good Thursday of the week. Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. Listen, I, I, I had me a day. I've had me a week. So this was the first week of no teaching summer vacation. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have not been home. Today was like the longest I've been home and it was great. But, (laughs) but I have been like a man on a mission. And uh, I was just thinking as we went live, when I'm going to have time to edit this and, and get it out there. And like tomorrow it's birthday. I'm gone mm-hmm. all day tomorrow. Saturday, I have obligations. Gone. Sunday, I'm going to play 18 holes of golf for the first time in 15 years. So odds are it's going to take me about 36 holes worth of time to finish 18 holes of golf. But man, I have been a busy, busy boy. What you been doing? So the missus went on a vacation, right? She was gone from the first to the fourth. But right before she left, we bought off of uh, Facebook Marketplace this this dresser for 50 okay. bucks. And this thing was beat to hell when we got it. Coffee stains on the top, burn marks. So very uh, rustic. Very, very. Yeah, we'll call it rustic. right? <laughs> uh, but it was there, dude. Like, that, you know, if you could look beyond the damage, it was there. Right. So while she was gone. I brought it over to uh, my parents' house and sanded the whole thing down, which was the biggest bitch of the whole project. There were so many nooks and crannies in it, and I didn't realize it until we got into it. The paint they had put on it, which was like bubblegum purple, like that I want to be grape bubblegum. You know what I mean? It's almost like bordering on like pink. It's barely purple, Mm -hmm. but it had this super tacky, almost glue-like quality to it. Son of a bitch. It took me like six hours of hand sanding to get that all taken <laughs> care of. Then we then we stained it and we uh, polyurethaned it. And this is like a three-day process that it took me to do this. Um, and so I've been spending a lot of time in the town that um, I kind of sort of grew up in. And man, it don't look the same. I can tell you that right now. Uh but yeah, it, it, it was great though. She came home from the vacation. I had it sitting in the uh, the kitchen. My little brother brought it back over in his big old pick up truck, as he calls it. <laughs> and uh, she walked in. It was there, and it was beautiful. We come to find out, dude, this thing is an antique. It, it's the company that makes it is actually very reputable, and they stopped making furniture in 1932. If this oh, thing wow. were, if this thing weren't beat up. With the way I restored it, if it weren't covered in paint, if the wheels weren't broken off of it, this thing would be worth like fifteen hundred dollars. Dang. Yeah, yeah, we got it for fifty bucks. And where'd you where'd you pick it up again? Uh, you said it was uh, off of Facebook, right? Like the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, some girl that was living in an apartment that needed to move back to the dorms. Um, so oh, I guess man. for co- for COVID, they moved off campus. And then now that they're allowing people back in the dorms this semester, she's moving back onto campus and like she has no need for it. So uh, we picked it up, man, and it looks damn good. I'm proud of myself. It's the first time I've ever redone a piece of furniture like this. It came out sick. Hey, well, congrats. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Not not what you guys thought I was going to do, huh? You guys are probably thinking like S stands over here going to nerd conventions and the movies or maybe Yo, the hey, beach. Speak- Speaking of the movies, though, uh, I went to the theaters for the first time in like four years uh, the other day. What'd you say? And I saw The Green Knight. I've heard very mixed things about that. So has literally everyone. And I have very mixed 
feelings on it. Not to completely derail everything we just no, talked no, about. No, no, no. But um, I, as a kid, guys, hi, hello, hey, I'm Dale. I, I'm a big nerd. I like my fantasy. I like my fiction. I like my myths and my lore. I like my books. And as a kid, I was very much into Tolkien's work uh, with Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and everything. And then I backtracked into a lot of Norse mythology. And then from Norse mythology, I backtracked into a lot of Arthurian legend. And I got really, really into all the different like King Arthur stories and the, the Camelot stories and the tales of the knights. And the Green Knight is a very interesting telling of the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knights. It's set up in a very interesting way uh in the movie where it slightly changes like the the hero's ambition their reason for why they want to go on this adventure and it's kind of like a foil to itself where we, when you think of the hero's journey right the 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 storytelling uh what's what's the word cycle what is the first like story the first person that comes to your mind when I think of a story, when you think of like specifically the hero's journey, like the from beginning uh, to end, so the cycle that the the your stereotypical hero goes through. Who do I think of as a hero? I guess I'm misunderstanding the question here, Dale. Do you know the the narrative device, the hero's journey? No, bro, you're you're talking right. English. You're talking right. English right. class. All right. No, I don't. I don't listen. Listen, hold up. You and Rourke can take your propositions and your prepositions and your superlatives and all your fancy fucking words and go bring them to somebody that's good with them books. Okay, I'm not one of them. All right, there's a reason I become an English teacher. But but the hero's journey, like the concept of, like explain it to explain it in idiot sense. So there like are me. 12 different stages. Think of this as like a cycle and a clock face. So you have act one, act two, act three. Act one is the ordinary world. This uh, includes the call to adventure, refusal, meeting with the mentor. All right. Let's think about this in like um, uh, Arthur's uh, uh, state, right? right? He, meet, he meets Merlin and so on and so forth. Exactly. And then we have the special world, crossing the threshold, tests, allies, and enemies, approach to uh, inmost cave, ordeal, reward, and the road back. This starts the uh, act three, the road back to resurrection, to return with elixir. This is, a, I think I want to say this is based a lot, it specifically off of Greek mythology, uh, where like this whole cycle and ordeal uh, started and became just like a standard uh, narrative device that detailed the struggles that your hero of whatever uh, whatever like narrative work you're working on uh, goes through and how they deal with the situations as they pre present themselves and the like conflict climax resolution. My first thought for this always goes back to Hercules. You have Hercules and his uh, 12 labors and then the resolution of his plot. The Green Knight, let's circle this all the way back around. The Green Knight as a movie frames the same kind of hero's journey on a hero who is very unwilling, a hero who wants to gain honor any way possible and wants to have his name uh what being respected by the kingdom he's in. And he offers himself up to go on this dangerous, treacherous uh, journey. It turns it. Oh, I don't, I don't quite know how to, ex how to explain it. It's very abstract. These struggles that are main character, Gawain, a uh, cousin to King Arthur uh, goes through. They feel like, such loosely connected sequences of events 
that without the context of the poem and knowing the full story, I feel really fall flat. Like just watching it as a third party, not having any sort of idea what to expect from the movie. I feel like you're going to leave decently disappointed, which is really sad because the, the actual cinematography, the direction, it is such a gorgeous movie and it feels much more like an art piece, like an art film than your like Saturday night action film and maybe to its benefit maybe to its detriment because i think there are definitely like some parts where the abstractness really helps exemplify the worry and the concern and the struggles that goblin goes through but then it also just kind of feels incohesive and it's it's one of those things where it's like what what do you want more? Do you want your artistic vision or artistic merit to shine, even if it might get bombed, even if people might not, might not appreciate the view? Or do you want to tell a story and have it well-received, right? Like, it, it feels like one of those, one of those pick-the-button situations. Yeah. Well, here's where I'll jump in on that piece, is that this was a worldwide release in, mm-hmm. in major theaters. Right. Like the box office has to be the motivator and nobody wants to see your art film in in a worldwide release. That's why people go to, you know, all those little indie film festivals all over the place. If you want to get weird with it, you you don't do that with a a worldwide release. Um, But also, I I appreciate the point you make and, and have experiences myself with like. There needs there's pre work so to speak, to, to going to watch the movie. There's work that you were expected to do before you got there. Um, one of the greatest examples I, I have experienced of this, which is nowhere near whatever this Green Knight thing is. I'll be honest with you. I know a lot about Camelot. My grandmother used to read Camelot to me all the time when I was a kid. I don't know anything about this Green Knight nonsense. Um, with the She had a book version of the screenplay for... Uh, or not screenplay, the whatever they call the script for the theater kids. Uh, Apparently, the scripts. Yeah, whatever. Apparently, there was a really well-known uh, play, Camelot, and they just did a book adaptation of that, minus the uh, you know stage left and entry cues uh, and all that. Is it is it bad that when you said there is a stage adaptation, my mind immediately went to Spamalot. <laughs> I mean, no. I think that's fine. But but you know, there was a an author I, I used to be a huge fan of. I read up to a certain point in his career everything he ever wrote, Dennis Land. Uh he wrote things that people might know him for are Mystic River, uh Shutter Island are the two big hits he had. Uh but he also had this detective series I loved about Patrick Kinsey. Uh and they put out a book called God May Be Gone as a movie. And I was super excited for it. I had my grandma go take me to see it. It was like two and a half hours long. It was a really long movie. Um, and it fell flat on its face for exactly the same reasons. If you had not read, Gone Be Gone was like book five or six in the series. And if you hadn't read things previously, they didn't introduce any of the characters to you. Like, there's a really pivotal character. He's a Russian, like... Uh, arms dealer and he does like shady stuff to smuggle things in and out of the country, including people. Um, and they just introduce him in the movie as the scenes happening. They don't explain who he is, where he comes from, why Patrick Kenzie's going to see him. Um, and then also they cast K- uh, Casey Affleck as a guy that's supposed to be almost Italian looking. Uh, he's Irish, but he's almost supposed to be <laughs> Italian looking. Uh, the way they describe him in the book. And they, they cast freaking Casey Affleck, which also ruined it. But yeah, that could be a bummer. But uh, was the theater itself a good time? Yeah, it was honestly like I, I had a great experience watching it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it it turns the hero's journey kind of on its head. And in my mind, I've always interpreted the Green Knights to be a story of honor and redemption gone wrong. 
and how the hero succumbs to the temptations and what that means for his character. Um, and to see that pan out in a couple of the very interesting and disturbing ways, it was good. Uh, going back and like seeing the movie in theaters and there's like these big comfy, comfy chairs. I got some, I got a large movie popcorn, just made a good event out of it with the girlfriend. It was, it was a great time. Great, great, great time. I think the greatest thing that has come from COVID is same day release on HBO max. Uh, really looking <laughs> forward to tomorrow. One activity I would like to participate at some point uh, is watching suicide Ooh. squad. Uh, so, you know, so, that, on on that note, question for you. Hey, we got Kojo the Joe Bro with the resub. Thank you, man. Welcome to Bored Nerdy Night. Estan, you know Busfair. Yeah. I learned from Busfair that Scar Joe is suing Disney because of that exact same oh, yeah. reason. Yep. Because I guess the what her contract for the Black Widow movie specifically stated that the movie would only be released to theaters and she'd get a percentage of tickets or mm-hmm. gross income or whatever. And by releasing it on Disney plus it undercut her share of ticket sales or whatever. That is so intriguing to me. So, I mean, there's a really simple fix for this, right? If it's in the contract, she auto wins this no brainer, but also it wasn't for free on uh Disney plus. So, if, right. if they if they just want to lump it in and be like, all right, sorry, here, we'll include rentals as uh, box office. Uh, real simple fix. But, I mean, that's why we sign contracts and, and why we have lawyers. I fully expect her to win that. Uh, there was another actress that was in an action flick that that happened to that's doing the same exact thing uh, following in Scarlett Johansson's uh, footsteps there. Um to me, that was one of those stories that people were like making a big deal out of. I'm like, well, I mean, if she signed a contract, plain and simple, like the contract has to be honored. And if it's in there, she'll win. And if it's mm-hmm. if it's not in there, then whatever. But the Tough luck, the piece that a lot of people have uh, put out there that I think is probably more interesting is what are the consequences of this? And that's the piece that interests me and intrigues me even more because. Um, hi, my name is Estan. Uh, I teach economics. Um, I understand the need for capitalism. I also hate capitalism. Um, I and hate this. Hand I hate this idea that she signs a contract. If it says what she claims it says, that's the thing is I haven't read the contract. And even if I did, I don't think I would understand all the legal jargon in it. I, I doubt right, we'd be able to see what the contract is. So it's kind of speculation sure. on right. our part. So let's assume, because uh, I always I always assume the victim is telling the truth until the evidence proves differently. Um, I know that does not mean I condemn anybody else. It's just I'm going to believe the victim. Uh, let justice play itself out. So if the contract really says what it says, and Scarlett Johansson is telling the truth, there should be no consequences or repercussions for this. Um, I had this conversation like blacklisted or yeah, whatever else mm-hmm. be it seen as like a problem. No, you're yeah. the problem for not honoring your contract. I actually had this conversation the other day with my little brother. Uh, he just got a big boy job and he became eligible to take uh, his first sick day last week. Ooh. And his, his job has a use it or lose it mentality about paid time off that mm-hmm. resets on January 1st. Uh, so he was like, I'm going to take a day off and go to the beach. And I was like, hell yeah, brother, you go ahead. You do that. Uh, not, I promise guys, I'll come back to Scojo here. Um, but my mom got all upset about this and was like, why are you promoting that? Why are you asking him to be lazy? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. His job expects him to show up at seven 30 in the morning and work until three 30 every day with these two 15 minute breaks and this 30 minute lunch. He does that every day. He meets his performance reviews in his contract. It also says that he's allowed the equivalent of five days off of work a year and to be compensated for it. He should take every last one of those days and know he should not feel bad about it because that's what the contract says. Damn right. So to come back around to Scarlett Johansson, 
If her contract says this will only be put into theaters because I am getting paid as a portion of the box office and it was put anywhere else, she's entitled to those revenues. Because that's that's just plain and simple. That's it. And now if anybody thinks that she's a problem for going and getting what she deserves, you, my friend, are the problem. The individual attempting to exploit and screw over the worker, you, my friend, are the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And I also agree with y'all. Like, if you got to use it or lose it situation with your days, with time, whatever else, this is something that I really struggle with. Because one, I need money. Two, I, I don't know what my issue is. But if I'm not working, if I'm not doing something, if I'm not doing some sort of service, I don't feel, I, well, I feel like my worth is diminished. And even if I have days off, it's really, really difficult for me to pull myself away and use those days. I'm lucky where if I don't use all the days off, uh, they roll over to mm-hmm. like a following year. So I, I get uh, a few extra hours here and there where I can use them for like sick days and whatnot. But it is really, really difficult for me personally to be able to just take time off, reflect on myself, and just give me that me time. Like I always just need to be doing something, finding some way to stay active to, and productive. I used to share that with you. I too have a place where I'm allowed to take a certain amount every year over. Um, there, there is like a cutoff, and I, I usually try to reserve all those days in case. God forbid. I mean, we live in a world where things like heart disease and cancer and you know all sorts of things can happen to you right my parents are getting Mm -hmm. older who knows if i have to take off time to help them so i try to reserve as many of my sick days as i can for the emergencies but the ones that i'm not allowed to keep i'm absolutely going to use i used to struggle like you did until i really had to accept something and i also stopped making excuses for it mental health days are sick days if i am mentally sick I need to stay home and get my brain correct. And I even, you know, I where I work, my bosses are not supposed to ask us why we were out. Uh, we have an automated machine. We enter some buttons. We get our sick day. And actually in our contract, it says they're not allowed to ask. However, my boss is a fantastic lady. And uh, I have no problems on like a personal level with her going, hey, you okay? You're out yesterday. I just want to make sure you're good. And me answering her. And I've just been straight up with her. I'm like, listen. Kids have been really rough this week. I wasn't in the right headspace. I took a day from me. The second that I designated it as a mental health day, I found I was able to shut it off and center on me. That's good. That's that's really good. I wish I was in the same kind of position. Uh, I've I've talked about my workplace several times. We've been understaffed for God knows how long. And if there is ever a time where I'm like, hey, I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to be able to come in. There, the only time that has ever not had some sort of rebuttal is the day after I got my second uh, COVID vaccination shot. I went to work and I just hit a wall and could not function. And that was the only time I've not had pushback. Like, are you sure you can't work? We really need some someone in who's going to take your spot. It's like, that sucks. I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, so that's not your problem. That's what management's for to figure out who's going to take your spot. But, you know, guys, we don't just come on board and nerdy to, to bitch about jobs <laughs> and pay time off and so on and so forth. I know we start with Scarlett Johansson here, so I'm going to bring this back around. Um, Please do. <laughs> You know, guys, listen, it's feeling birthday, man. As you get older, you start to realize the different things in life that are important to you and how you want to approach them. And it takes you down all different types of roads. But a road that I want to go down real quick, I just want to touch on this one uh, because this is a band we had both experienced before the recommendation. But to keep up with our uh, ritual of discussing the previous uh, week's album, you know, Mm -hmm. we listened to This Town needs guns or ttng as it's called in a lot of uh itunes and spotify search things the album animals um dale you were familiar with ttng but i believe this album was new to you 
Yeah, I listened to like one song uh, off of the album, and it's still my favorite song off the album. Go figure. Uh, but I wasn't really familiar with uh, This Town Needs Guns album's entire discography. Only like the three songs or so I had heard of them. And I gotta say, you were saying that the, like you put this album on to be in like an uplifting mood or like just to power through whatever you're working on. And I gotta say, it, it definitely lives up to that kind of vibe for sure. Yeah. So like, I know that some people might be like, well, the vocals don't always match up with that. Right. But the sweeping guitar and the way that they're kind of, everything's just so melodic. It's so mm. easy to set yourself into a trance, especially if your, your hands are occupied. It's like, let's also occupy your brain through the experience. Through math, because math, math rock. So, Wow. Wow. Is that what this genre is called? Yeah, this is, so this is very much like what I've been into for the past like two years. This definitely falls under like that indie math rock, uh, Midwest emo vibe for sure. What the hell is math rock? I thought math rock legit, guys, I'm not even kidding you. I thought math rock was like nerd rock i thought it was actually talking about like science and <laughs> so what the hell is a math rock so math rock is like prog rock but not uh so you know how you have like prog rock you've got prog nope. metal, you've got all these progressive nope. nope i don't know nope see all right dale listen i know you're passionate okay. about this i know we've all talked right. about this okay okay I hate the classifications of like subgenres of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like when things have a genre that they fall into, and that is their genre. If mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. different, it is a new genre. So when mm -hmm. people come at me with like, for instance, I'm taking a shot at people right now, possibly in your audience. Listen, there's hardcore, and that's it. Fuck your crab core, your prog core, your industrial hardcore. Okay, I don't care about anything. Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Because nah, there's an there's evolution. There's hardcore and that's it. There, there is an evolution of genres and how it's been adopted and it, 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 it changes. Saying that hardcore is just the end all be all stop end point is just not, not true. We're not it needs to be called the, something else. The, it needs to be called something else. It needs to be called. Listen, if it the is. only difference is that. You headbang to this and you swirl your hair to that. It's the same goddamn thing. Stop it. So you don't like thrash. You don't like speed metal. You don't like power metal. You don't like glam metal. It's just all metal. It's, it's metal. It's metal, man. It's just all metal. It's all music. All right. All right. I, 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 I respect the take. But in terms of us intellectuals here talking, we've got math rock. Uh, it's characterized by... Characterized specifically by the use of odd time signatures, uneven tempos, a lot of syncopation, uh, and you definitely get a lot of that from uh, from this album, for sure. And I was considering what album to talk about next, but I think I'm going to save that for a couple weeks from now and give you a bit of a ringer. But specifically, I'll mention Crocodile, my favorite track from uh, from this album, Animals, is in the same uh, tuning as most of the album from uh, from the band I'll be mentioning in a few weeks. All right. Very, very. It, it feels like it, it's taken a lot of uh, the same kind of like takes on the licks and the riffs and the melodies. I'm very curious if you like this. I'm very curious how you're gonna like the other one because it is a little bit slower. So we'll we'll see when we get there. Okay, fair. Uh, just to put a shout out out there because uh, you know you had your favorite song. My favorite song is actually "Dog" off this album, and there's a very specific reason as to why it's "Dog." Um, if you line them up side by side, you'll be like, that doesn't make sense at all. But it reminds me of one of my favorite Incubus song, uh, Incubus song, Incubi, Incubus. Uh, the band Incubus has a song, uh, Mexico, and 
for some reason, dog reminds me of Mexico and interesting the way it's structured and the way of the singing and yeah. Um, so just putting that out there for you folks. Yeah, would love to uh would love to hear it. Incubus is not the band I'm gonna be recommending, but and I think as Stan, I think this is gonna be right up your alley. I really hope this is right up your alley. The band is Windmills. Windmills. They are a rap group. And oh, the album sh- is gonna be broken record. There is a song on this album called Bring Out the Sun. Being a Souls fan, praise the sun. Praise the sun. This group sampled the background music of the Nexus from Demon Souls, the hub, essentially the hub world of Demon Souls, and used that as like the 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 basic background beat to uh to rap over. You know how I, I know love... you're basic. You know how I know you're basic. Anybody. Any hip hop head out there would be able to tell you it's not called the basic beat, it's called the back beat. But it's okay. You intellectuals continue to talk about your prog rock, okay? All right, all right, fair enough. I don't I don't I ain't in the scene, man. I don't know what to tell you. I just peruse and dabble. I thought this would be mm-hmm, something that you mm-hmm. that you that, that anyways. I found out about this group by the YouTuber Epic Name Bro, Marcus. And uh on his old Souls videos, he would always uh, play some of the some of the clips of the songs from Windmills, and I just fell in love with it. So I can't wait to see your take on uh, on the album. If if you can see on on screen, I've got every single one of these songs hearted. I think the entire album is flawless. Well, I've listened to 15 seconds of Bring Out the Sun, and there's some uh, traditional scratching happening on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's already it's already doing things in my nether regions <laughs> so get on it y'all broken record by windmills next week all right all right i'm ex- i'm actually excited to look that one up and, and listen to it um okay so guys we did play some games uh, over the past week but before we talk <laughs> about the games we did play i want to talk about a game i did not play uh for a very specific reason um I've been following a project since the Wholesome Direct. I played the demo on NextFest. I've had a blast with it. I've been following very close. Listen, I don't follow a lot of games through their production and development. This week, I got to experience three games that I have followed from the moment I heard about them. Two of them I actually played, and one of them was one of the coolest experiences I've had in a minute. Uh, so the game in question here, guys, is called Death Trash. It's... Uh, I- isometric asymmetric i forgot what they call isometric isometric yeah um it it harkens back to the days of fallout one and two but it's not turn-based it's kind of got like an enter the gungeon fighting style with less bullet hell um but i've been really excited about it it just uh it's say the fifth yeah just today at at noon eastern went on early access on steam and I have been following the Twitter account for this very closely, and um, they made some comments that I was like, wait a minute, question mark? So I shot a text out to, not text, a a reply out to um, the general account for for Death Trash. I was just like, hey, guys, question for you. All right. Love your game. I'm buying it today one way or the other. But here's what I need to know. Does early access mean the game is incomplete? Is there a definitive end point like there was for the demo? Like, can you explain to me what early access means for your game? And essentially, what is happening with the game right now um, is there is about five hours of additional content to the demo. So it's like the demo plus five hours of side quests. Oh, wow. And this is more like a beta bug bashing play time than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. We've gotten so used to the title early access being a way for a game to like release and not have to apologize for their bugs. But yep. Death Trash is 
actually trying to use early access as early access. They want to fix their game. They want to find out what mechanics are working. What is it? What do players like before they dive too deeply in? So I didn't play it today, but I do fully intend on diving in to, I want to be a part of the process. Uh, I'm in their discord. I, I want to be the guy that helps bring this game to life. If you guys want to as well, uh, as of the start of the show, it was still on sale for 15 bucks. Um, so if you guys want to get involved and, and get some testing done, write up some reviews, help these folks out, that'd be great. On top of it, there's a guy, uh, I forgot his name. I wrote it down somewhere. And I can't find it now. He's one of the devs. He actually DM me on Twitter to uh, pretty much say, hey, thank you so much for um, you know still supporting us, even though you don't intend to play through on stream, blah, 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 blah. He's the one that I learned all the uh, early access stuff from. So it was like codeless Cody or something like that. Uh, chill, dude. Um, That's awesome. But that was a cool experience, man. I've never actually gotten such direct interaction from a dev team before. It was just really cool to feel heard and to continue to be excited about something with realistic expectations. You know what else? What other team does a great job of being very interactive with their community? Uh, Bloodborne? The team behind Grime, man. Back when you and I played the demos, back when you were asking questions about what's going on, even like the day of launch, I saw you ask them, hey, it's like nine in the morning here, uh, still yeah. no download, what's going on? They're like, yeah, we, it's going to be coming out in a few hours. The, the, the team behind it looks like they're doing a great job, and watching you play through Grime, being this new Metroidvania type uh, adventure action platformer, the, the, the genre tag spew stuff. It looks like a blast, man. How you been enjoying it? Dude, so um, 100%, again, another dev team that just deserves all the praise on the face of the earth, man. These happened today, and it actually was like, I, I was big into this. So Co Carnage was like, hey, should I play Grime? I really want to play this other game. Uh, cozy something or other. And the guys from Grime responded were like, Co. You should play whatever game makes you happy, man. Thanks for even just consider. Thanks for even considering our game. Oh, bless them. So, of course, <laughs> of course, Co played it, man. And I hope to God that he blew it up because this game. I got more than I expected out of this game. Um, I wanted just really good boss fights in a Metroidvania. Yeah, I wanted lore that I could dive into, which we already knew from the demo we were going to get. Um, so the lore is told in the fashion of like the Souls-like games, right? You gotta mm -hmm. look for it; it's in the background. It's going back and visiting places where events happened before to find out that that area has changed in some way, shape, or form. Read the items, read the things you get, the the consumables. There's so much lore there but you have to work for it. There's maybe two whole entire things that will be like put in front of you um, in the game for you to learn lore, but the rest of it, you have to find on your own, which I always love and appreciate that the boss fights. There has been so many boss fights where the first three deaths, I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to learn this. This is too complicated. It's too confusing, but just like with, you know, I think of like nameless King or pontiff, when you slow it down and you just realize this is a mechanics-based fight, die uh -huh. 15 times, but die learning. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. If you are a fan of Souls games but not Metroidvanias, don't worry. This game has you in both lore and the boss fights. On the Metroidvania front, holy platforming Batman. The platforming in this game is so much fun. It's so frustrating at the same time. There is no handholding. Yes, you get a dash, but if you miss that dash, you will be punished. You need to learn timing. You're not going to be forgiven for knowing the mechanic, but not using it correctly. And man, there, there have been platforming pieces that felt just as rewarding as some of the major bosses in the game. Um, 
last but not least uh, of mechanics-based things or, or world-based things, they also have optional bosses. Um, I feel like I've missed a few at this point, but very much so like a Souls game, if you go make this decision or kill this other boss, you lose the opportunity to fight this previous boss. At the same time, if you don't fight this guy at point A, great. Because at point B, you do get to fight him. And it's a way cooler fight than it would have been at point A. Sure. Seems to be a lot of replayability to this game. Really cool mechanics. Um, one of them was just playing on the background, Dale's stream, and it reminded me to bring this up. So initially, I was kind of like, okay, I've got my double dash. I've got my air dash. I've got all these typical Metroidvania things. Where's double jump going to be? No, nope, mm-hmm. they didn't hit me with the double jump. They add in a couple mechanics, um, absorb and pull that are unique to grime that I could try to explain to you guys, but honestly, getting your hands on the game and exploring it yourself, it took me almost, tw- uh, I don't think I'm at 20 hours in yet. I probably had like 15 hours in to actually start to get the idea that not all bosses need to be smacked in the head to kill them. Um, Really cool mechanics, really neat, unique mechanics, and it really forces you to play the game the way they want it to be played in certain points. I know that might be like, wow, why are you forcing me into this box, bro? No, 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 no. They're making sure that you can't just lean on your ability to dodge and smack things. You also need to know the correct opportunities to use the unique mechanics of this game to gain an advantage or die a thousand times to the boss. Your choice. Cannot that's recommend so, this game enough. That's so interesting because that's exactly what Sekiro does too. And like reflecting on it now, I really respect that about Sekiro. Having played Sekiro and like going through it at the time, I hated it so much because my mind, my mind being a Souls player from life until, from what, birth until death, is just, hey, roll, counter, win. Right, like study movements, roll, iframes, win. But Sekiro's like, nah, can't do that. You gotta use your tools that you pick up during the game. You gotta not block. You have to be aggressive. And it took me so out of it. I'm sure that if I went back to it, understanding that okay, this is this is exactly what I need to do to move forward, I'd enjoy it so much better. And to your point, I think that like, I think that this does a good job of giving you that middle ground where you can experiment all you want. You can try to like out react whatever you come across, but there will be a time where you need to start using these mechanics. I think it, it does a good job of finding the, like a nice little place to branch off and tell you, Hey, start using this. Otherwise you're not gonna, you're not gonna move forward. And as far as like the push and pull mechanics, uh, it was very similar to Ori in the Blind Forest, actually. Uh, the movements with uh, like you uh, levitating and find these orbs that you like maintain your uh, movement with and then just blast upwards or right or whatever direction. Very similar. And that's really cool seeing this here. You know, I, th- I think I haven't played Ori. I've heard fantastic things about Ori, but... um. I think my favorite use of the polls is the unique ways that you can use it in different fights throughout the world. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the absorb mechanic is essentially your parry, but like the pole can be your front kick to get through a shield. Uh, and depending on, I don't want to go too in depth here, guys, but every enemy has the potential to have two different types of health. Uh, absorbable health and repellable health and using your skill sets of pull and absorb during the two different types of health bars also on the same enemy can get you completely different results so the the sheer amount of enemy animations i think is the thing that gets me the most um as you go from zone to zone it kind of there's a few a few models that feel like they're recycled models uh more more original than recycled 
But even when they are the recycled model, their animations are vastly different. And every zone I've gone to has felt like its own unique experience. Cannot recommend this game enough. I, I personally uh, have consumed more than my fair share of Metroidvania since Hollow Knight, which was my first. And this has quickly become one of my favorite genres. This is right up there, man. I don't know yet because I haven't beat it. I haven't beat it yet. So I don't know if I could say that this was more enjoyable to me than Hollow Knight. But this scratched an itch that Hollow Knight never got to that I wanted from it. That's such great praise. And again, like the devs are doing a really good job of being like interactive with the community and just trying to show how much love and passion they put into this. Uh, having watched Estan play this, well, what we're watching right now, it's been a blast. And uh, definitely check it out, guys, if you like Metroidvanias. So, Dale, what, what's been on your radar? The same thing as always. I've been playing me some more Bloodborne. And uh, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Bloodborne this time. Mm. So we entered the DLC. Oh, this I guy. finished this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I watched you fight this guy for about six hours. <laughs> you know, if you if you know, you know, if you play Bloodborne. Yeah, no, we entered the DLC and I got walled on Orphan Akos, or some say Kossum. Guys, in this game so far, I've not had to worry about farming for blood vials, the item that you use to heal. Unlike Dark Souls, you can have uh, up to 20 vials on you from the very start of the game. You can get a rune here and there that increases the amount you can carry on you up to one, two, three, four. Uh, but otherwise it stays pretty much static. It restores your health for a uh, percentage. So as your health, as you level up your health, the amount that you heal from the vials scales with you. That said, <laughs> uh, I had a healthy dosing of like 150, 180 vials when I started this fight. Uh, I might've, I might've extinguished my entire stock of vials of 150, 180 twice fighting this dude. He doubled, nearly doubled my entire death count from the start of the game to getting up to his boss fight alone. It was wild. This fight was so punishing, but it felt so good once I finally got the cadence and the flow and the rhythm down. I started understanding, okay, this is how I can start to cheese things. This is how I can start to punish uh, different attacks. I'm recognizing the like startup and the windup of different swings. I'm recognizing when the slow attack is going to come out, when the fast attacks gonna come out i'm trying to like parse when is the second follow-up gonna come out why didn't follow up and i just have like imagine those like the 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 math the math calculation meme right the person's going through like all these different formulas just as as they die and that's exactly what it felt like in real time i'm trying to measure out and equate what in the world is going on why am i being beaten by this orphan of cost and this just gigantic great one placenta what 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 it was great how this long did it actually of, take you oh uh total probably around five hours six hours total somewhere somewhere in that ballpark um i remember watching what, for like two hours at the end of a stream and then i went to bed before you finished streaming and then the next night, I'm sitting there playing League, and you boot up. <laughs> it was the same damn thing, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I have a running theme with the games I play, uh, especially for, like, um, like, final bosses. I will get up to the very end of a game, the last boss. It will take me a couple hours, and I can't beat on stream. We start up the game next stream. 
20 minutes. Done. This wasn't one of those times. And honestly, I kind of love it. Uh, I have, I don't, I don't want to say it's an inferiority complex, but I get very frustrated if I'm not good at something or I feel like my skill is digressing mm-hmm. and diminishing. And I definitely felt that multiple times during this fight. I finally, finally got after five to six hours. I screamed. I legit screamed in joy. And I I had a few just tears well up. After stream, I went to go Google and search what the recommended level for the DLC was. To see, okay, how far off am I? Because I don't like farming. I feel like farming on stream is just very boring and it doesn't really add a whole lot to what's going on if i'm going to have if i'm going to be put in a situation where i farm i would much rather spend that time trying to learn whatever encounter i'm in so i can use that skill to better myself in the future that's just kind of like where my where my mind goes that's exactly what happened here i went to go look at the recommended level guys i was level 60 I was level 62. The recommended level for the start of the DLC is 80. Hmm. 80 to 85. What do they know? I'm nearing the end with this, with this fight now. And then I looked a little bit further and I saw the recommended level for this boss was 90 to 110. And I felt so much. (laughs) I felt so much better about myself and my performance you early dancered i exactly it it's like i early dancered and i didn't even know it so it's like imagine you're playing dark souls 3 for the first time you find this big hard boss by accident or you you kill the lady because you're an asshole and and now you've got the answer in front of you and you can't really do much else until dancer's gone but what happens? You did it. And then you go try to search around and you're like, oh, that was hard. That was tough. But I got there. The satisfaction was so, so worth it. And I don't, I don't mean it to my own horn here. Because it's, it's not like I've spent you know thousands of hours into Dark Souls 1 that I'm just a god at Souls games now. No, 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 no. I think I still have a whole lot to learn I have a lot of areas I'm really good in, areas I'm really, really bad in. And this fight definitely showcases the areas I'm not good in. I can fully admit that. But being able to like recognize, hey, that was a potential weak point for like required levels I could have put into like health or stamina or just more damage. And I beat it for a first time playthrough. It felt it felt really good, man. It felt really good. You know, so here, here's something that I was trying to explain to somebody um, that didn't understand why I enjoy the Souls games. Um, and this is actually something that has been happening to me through the grind playthroughs. Um, there's this satisfaction I get when I die to a boss, but I progressed. Mm-hmm. We progressed, we died. We progressed, we died. And when I beat the boss, I had this moment of like, hell yeah, we did it. But then there's this emptiness where it's like, okay, I want to do that again. It's almost like I crave the deaths. I crave the learning curve experience. And when it's over, I miss it. And I almost rush through parts of games just to get back to the next boss to fight it again it's something i never really took advantage of and i wish more games would do is uh like for instance hollow knight has that thing where you could go back and fight all the things in that weird area Um, yeah i wish more games would offer you once you've beaten things the opportunity to do them again without having to replay the whole entire game um i think that would be you say that in Bloodborne, there's an optional 
set of dungeons. These are called chalice dungeons. And as you go through them, eventually, it's not, I don't think it's every boss, but you do encounter some of the bosses that you fought before in different arenas. Uh, they've either like powered up or you've powered up, but you can face them again. These chalice dungeons can be really, really brutal. Uh, so I think like even on, I, I don't think that they scale with the game. So the soul series offers new game plus where after you beat the final boss, you can start the game all over again. You keep the gear that you have on you. Uh, you keep your same level, yada, yada, but everything in the world around you, while despite starting at the, like the very start of the game scales up, you can do that up to like a total of six times, I believe new game plus six. And then that's where the cutoff is. Uh, the Chalice Dungeons, even on New Game, I believe, get up to that New Game Plus 6 difficulty. Not immediately, but, like, as you go through the dungeons and get to the, the deeper ones, uh, and, like, you get more items to go to the next dungeon, then they start to progress and progress and progress. I'm still pretty new to uh, the Chalice Dungeon system, so I could be a little bit off about that. That's just my understanding. And That's I... Cool, I honestly really, really love that because it, it involves that sort of challenge and progression, but you don't need to beat the game to get there. And I, it, it, it's very roguelike where you can keep setting these chalices down. You can go through randomly rolled dungeons and just keep collecting items, fighting bosses, doing whatever. I really, really like that. Yeah, it sounds neat. cool. It kind of reminds me of... Uh like Omega Ruins from Final Fantasy X, where it, mm -hmm. it, it added this like additional challenge for those people that wanted to slam their heads into the wall. Um, those sick, twisted people like us that just want to get every last bit they can out of a game and be challenged the whole entire time. Absolutely. So, so that's been my experience with uh, with Bloodborne. Oop. Yep. I was just gonna ask, have you, you haven't finished the DLC, right? Uh I have one boss left in the DLC, Lawrence, and it was kind of it was kind of making me frustrated because it felt like a boss that had very slow movements. Uh very like easy to read attacks, but does a lot of damage. It does like half mm. over half my health with each swing. And I was just getting frustrated because I, I I kept going in doing like a centimeter of of damage on the health bar and then dying into it in, in one combo. I'm like, all right, let's 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 not let's not pull an orphan. Let's go head out to this chalice dungeons. Let's go explore some new content. Let's go just take a breather and then we'll we'll regroup from there. Those are always the worst where it's like, why am I dying to this? Oh, because if I mess up one time I'm 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 dead. Yeah. 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 So there is one other thing uh, that I've been playing came out today uh, for those that pre-purchased um, the back for blood PVP beta open today. Uh, we still have the campaign uh, that was given to us in the first one, <clears throat> the first beta. It also looks like they gave us a second level of campaign. I haven't played it yet. Um, but there seems to be this thing, Dr. Rogers neighborhood, not, not Mr. Rogers guys, <laughs> Dr. Rogers. Very, very, I love that name so much. Very, very important distinction. Um, but they did a whole new twist on the PVP and initially your boy was big mad. I am a huge fan of the left for dead series. Huge, huge fan of the left for dead series. I probably have thousands of hours into left for dead two on the three sixty. Um, had a regular group of guys. We used to play like game battles, competitive, so on and so forth. As of right now, there is no campaign PVP, which is where Left 4 Dead did their PVP. Instead, they're doing something that's closer to Gears of War Horde, um, where there's a location, there's a period of preparation where you can, uh, like, defend or set up defenses stockpile ammo get your yourself all situated and then you try to last as long as you can and you alternate rounds um 
the first few episode, uh, episodes, she's the first few games are full of rage quitters and half full lobbies. And then I don't know if I just started getting put into better lobbies or what, but I got into a few 4v4s. And man, there's a lot of potential for fun here. Uh, first things first, if you're just a fan of the campaigns of Left 4 Dead, I don't even think they need to add PvP for you to enjoy the campaigns. They are very, very difficult all on their own, uh, which was kind of the main draw to do the PvP in Left 4 Dead on campaign was that the campaigns themselves were too easy. So adding in players as the zombies made it more difficult. Uh, at least with the campaign for Back for Blood and the ba- uh, the betas, veteran is plenty challenging. Survivor is like, forget about it. Uh, you better have a well coordinated <laughs> group of four that have some hours in, in Left for Dead. But the game goes into open beta for everyone. I want to say on the eighth. I should probably research that, but. Uh, you could sign up on Turtle Rock Studios website and uh, get your name put into the hat for a beta code um, and, and try to get involved. Or if you buy it, if you pre-order it, you could get it today. Um, and there's no beta code necessary. You just ask somebody to pre-order it. You just get it. Um, highly recommend this if you were into Left 4 Dead, guys. I enjoyed it. We played for about two and a half hours before Board of Nerdy went live today. And uh, I'm probably going to play a round or two more before I go to bed when we're done here. Definitely a good time. Cool. Yeah, good stuff. It was fun watching. Uh, I definitely got the uh, the Gears of War Horde vibes for sure. Uh, I think they introduced Horde in Gears 2 and then Gears 3. They let you play as the Locust is like the opposing force, right? Yeah, there was there was uh, NPCs only in, in one of them. And then, yeah, the next title, it had to be two and three because I didn't mess around with like judgment and four. And they I, I've said before, and I'll say it again. These games that were intended to be trilogies, just let them go form a new IP, leave the story as it was. We don't need Halo seven. OK, we don't we don't need it. All right. Um but yeah, it, it's it was a good time, man. It was a good time, and I would love more people to play with. So if you're out there in listening land, come on through. We'll squat up. We'll wreck. Uh, they call the survivors cleaners, because the idea cleaners. here the idea here is that there is a a plague that's creating the zombie, and these people are going in and cleaning them out. Um, and then you have the infected. Uh, last little piece I will say about this is a nice little twist on the Left 4 Dead experience in Back for Blood. Um, there is a card system and, mm-hmm. and you collect these cards. It's not entirely clear how they will be collected in the actual game uh, experience. There is something called the supply line, uh, which seems to sort of work like a battle pass. Uh, as you play different rounds, you get supply and then you could apply the supply to your pass. And then there's different um, things you unlock along the way. Uh, I don't know if they plan on microtransactioning that or what, uh, but the cards give you abilities. So you start with three, uh, and you get to pick what those three are. These are the three buffs that I'm going to have every round, like additional health, additional reload speed, run speed. You know, imagine what you would want in like a, a attachment in a Call of Duty game. And that's kind of what these these cards do. And then at the end of each round, you're randomly given from your 15-card deck the option to pick three. So every level within the act or every act within the level, I forgot how they labeled it. There's like four or five. You're adding cards to your passive abilities. So you can really strategize. Like, I like playing a tanky guy. You have to send the whole damn squad at me to take me down. But there's others that are damage modifiers or there's things like um if i heal a teammate everybody from the team gets 10 percent of that healing there's like a medic oh wow build yeah there's there's a lot of really cool um ways to help not just yourself but also your team and it makes me actually wonder depending on how far they go with this competitive if this game actually hits the same way left for dead did i can actually see there being a potential for like a carry mentality 
Uh, this guy has all the damage buffs on him, but that makes him essentially a glass cannon. So you mm-hmm. be the tank, you be the healer. Let's make sure that this guy goes untouched so he could blast everything. It's just a cool little twist. And they have that also for the zombie side. Um, so you could also have like unique uh, builds for you within the zombie world. It's a cool thing, guys. Check it out if you're into it. Uh, at least put your name into the hat and see if you can play for free for a few days to find out if you like it. The game fully launches in October. Cool. Yeah, good plug. Like it. Well, Dale, I mean, we talked about capitalism, Scarlett Johansson, movie theaters, music, Metroidvania, Souls Likes, first person shooters. Did we do it? We, did we do the thing? What didn't we talk about? What a wild day. What a wild day. Good times, though. Really, really good times. As always. Uh, do you got any parting thoughts for the folks out there in listening land? Well, now that you brought up capitalism, my mind just goes to capitalism sucks and this land is a living hellscape, but it's fine. It's fine. Live every day with a smile. It's, now I'm just thinking of Niccolo from uh, Legend of Mana, the good old tried and true classic, being a peddler of smiles, just trying to make every day better than the last. Oh, man. You know what's going to be a great day? My tomorrow. birthday tomorrow, man. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Sauce. Big excites to have made it another, another day around this... Uh, this thing we call a sun, another year. Um, listen, in the words of Bob Ross, there are no mistakes, just happy accidents. Until we see you guys again, please do indeed stay gold, pony boy.